All right. Um, what I'd like to do tonight is let me start out by I got um, an email from my spirit-filled rabbi friend in, in Israel. And you know how I like to try to parallel. We're reading the Word, but how does that correlate to where we are chronologically in the world today? And uh, I love what he's, he's just a neat guy. He's very opinionated, as some of the rabbis are. Uh, but he's spirit-filled, and, and we may have him here uh, sometime uh, in the spring if, when he comes this way. But he, um, he shared with me, I've been sharing on Sunday mornings the book of Daniel, and uh, we'll finish maybe in a few weeks on that one. But um, I shared a couple of weeks ago about what is its, how does the mark of the beast and where does that look at and how is that relevant today? And we, you know that some of the uh, chips that are being placed in animals today, I shared with the uh, corporation that's in Michigan that has already implanted a chip, a biochip between the thumb and the forefinger, and they use it to buy goods out of machines and also to unlock their doors. Um, well, he gave me a part two on the picture of the mark of the beast. We had shared that Israel, as of January 1st, has mandated the less and less use of cash and checks. Here's part two of what he writes to me because there's something else coming down the, the pipe for Israel in, the, uh, in their law. He says, in December of 2018, I wrote to you an article two months ago about the Israeli government that had passed legislation, went into effect on January 1st of 2019. The legislation severely restricted the use of cash and checks for the purchase of sale of goods and services in Israel. And there's a, you want to look at it, I have a, 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 a www dot you can go look at that on. We wrote that this is a following event within a few years, as their stated intention, the Israeli government will completely elim eliminate all payments and purchases by check or cash or goods or services in Israel, even for those who go there to do, um, you know, a, a visit. The plan and purpose of this in, in power is to make Israel become one of the first cashless all-digital nations on earth. More than a year ago, and I believe it's probably driven by security reasons. That's, that's probably one of the, you can track a whole lot of folks. You can't, you, if you can't buy or sell without running your card or your chip, you know where everybody is and you can't use cash to, so if you're a terrorist or whatever. So the plan and purpose in, in this is to make Israel become that first cashless all-digital nation on earth. More than a year ago or so, the Israeli government printed and circulated new $200, $120 shekel bills. When they announced the printing of these new bills, they also stated this would be the last time that the new Israeli paper shekel bills would be printed. At that time, we all wondered what it would mean. Now, the meaning has become crystal clear. In the future, by design, the Israeli government will be eliminating the printing of paper shekels over the next, next several years. Their intention is to steadily shrink the supply of paper. And by not printing new shekel bills until paper money in Israel is virtually non-existent. They will be 100% digital. Um, I'll just jump to the part of this. It says, they also are in the direction of the biometric mark, containing access to all of your medical information, where you live, every license you have, any medical, can, all, all your medical situations, college degrees, all of your history, banking information, job history, salary, criminal history, and a complete criminal record, everything on the little chip. You are now required in Israel that the Israeli has begun the process of eliminating not only cash, but mandating biometric passports and identity cards. Commencing 2017, the government started this big step. The Israeli government quickly learned that and went to the Ministry of Interior's office now, for the renewal of all passports, identity cards, mandating that they be 
It's not optional any further. It must be biometric. It has kind of a picture of a little biometric. And when we went through Israel, uh, we checked in in November. Man, just about every country you go to now, they're doing the retina scans. They have a picture, and they're tracking basically everyone. It's, so it's, it's already headed in that direction of both uh, full government control. The first step is to take your fingerprints and a photograph, enter them into the National Fingerprint and Photo Database. Secondly, they take a picture of your face explicitly for the purpose of facial recognition by any camera, no matter what position or place you are in Israel. Third, so basically, you know, they've got cameras in a lot of places there, right? So if they catch you on a camera, they can now facially recognize who you are. Third, uh, they will also require a person to submit and have a picture of their retina and their eye as well. Consequently, when you go through passport control, either entering or leaving a country, you simply insert your passport in the machine face down, look into the lens of the camera, scans, validates, and you get in. If not, trigger. By law, every Israeli must now carry an identity card with them at all times, and you can see from the picture above, there's a chip embedded in the biometric identity card. This chip contains all of the person's personal information. This information also is stored in a central government database, virtually impossible for an Israeli to obtain telephone service, internet service, cable television, insurance of any kind, open a bank account, credit card, or any other service without your identity card. With the biometric identity embedded in the card, and by now you're getting the clear picture, prophesied by the fourth kingdom on earth given to the prophet Daniel 2,600 years ago, that the man of evil who would rule over the kingdom, so you look at that, and we looked at that, Daniel 7, uh, the last couple of Sundays, that fourth beast of the fourth kingdom, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, will devour the whole earth and crush it. And so, bottom line is the events are coming together, confirmed. Um, the seven-year covenant that will come, and we see that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, the man of evil, the Antichrist, will come, and he's going to set up the one world government and then establish the covenant with Israel and then three and a half years into that covenant he will stand in the temple in Israel and he will declare himself to be God. And I think I shared Sunday ago, I can't get them all blended together, but I don't think I covered here, but let's talk about it. Um, what would inspire uh, the the formation, or what would allow even the Muslim faith to build the third temple right at the site of where the, the Temple Mount is? And I postulated, I think, for you that most of the commentators now believe, and certainly many of the rabbis believe, the Ezekiel War is set, the stage is set. And I shared with you the exchange, the missile exchange that happened from the Iranians in Syria against the Golan Heights the Israelis air attack that took out their batteries. And so at this point, um, many believe that that Ezekiel 38-39 war is, could happen right now. And if, in fact, the destruction of Israel, I mean, the destruction of, of Russia and her cohorts there that are listed in, in that scripture in 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, at that point, can you imagine the destruction, the nuclear exchange, the complete destruction of Russia, Gog, Magog, and Iran, and those. And now, at that point, the next day, the meeting in the United Nations. We cannot have another nuclear exchange like this. If you've ever studied any of the nuclear exchanges, which we had to do when I was in the nuclear submarines, how do you survive a nuclear war? It's like, who even wants to think about that, right? But there will be a nuclear cloud that will go across, carried by the winds, 
There'll be a dark out many places. It'll, inf- it'll affect a lot of the growth and opportunity, sun, uh, contamination, the fallout that takes place in various places of the earth. When I was in the submarine service, we had a, we had a nuclear site in upstate New York, and we had monitors that right at the gatehouse. So anybody trying to come in or had walked into contamination, we had three submarines there and, 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 a, and a destroyer plant as well as an aircraft carrier plant. And one day, a guy set off the monitors, and I, had, I was the environmental health and safety manager for the site, and the monitor went off, and of course, my techs arrived, and they scanned the guy, and then we put him in a whole body scanner, and we found U-238, and we don't, if you, just, I'll just say this, that's not one of the contaminants that's present in the submarine service we're at. So we're like, where in the world would this guy get contamination from uranium-238? Whole body scanned him, did his history, checked it all out, finds out he's a major hunter, and he hunts in Alaska, and he shoots caribou, and he loves to eat caribou meat. Well, during the open testing that happened back in the 60s and 70s, when there was uh, open air testing, nuclear winds, right? Well, and they could trace this. This was, I believe, um, if I recall, it was a Russian atmospheric test carried by the winds rained out and, would, and deposited into the lichen, which is a, a moss-like thing that the caribou love to eat. It concentrated in the lichen. The caribou ate it. The hunter shoots it. He eats it. And he had U-238 in his bones. And we tripped it. So what's the point of that? If this thing goes down the way it is, you can imagine the world coming together saying, no, no, no. This has got to stop. Right? And you could have a leader emerge in the United Nations saying, let's get all the nations together. This hatred against Israel, this has got to stop. Let's sign a peace treaty. All the nations get together and sign a peace treaty. We've got to have this. And yes, and Israel say yes. And as good faith, we've got to stop all this anti-hatred of Muslims and Hindus and Christians. And yes, you, the plot that's there, yes, Israel has control of Jerusalem, so why don't you go ahead and build your temple right next to our mount? We saw the blueprints. We saw all the materials, even the vestige of the high priest for the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin has been formed. They believe the red heifer, which is one of the cow sacrifices that hadn't been seen for 1,000 years or so, is now available in Israel. They said they could build that temple in one year. So you can imagine this all goes down. This could all fit the timetable. My wife and I were talking today, well, where do we think we are? And she says, I think we're in chapter 7. I said, well, I don't know. Um, We do know this, that there's there's a seven-year period. That's pretty clear from the week in Daniel. The book of Daniel says Daniel's 70th week. So what I want to ask you to just kind of think about is, as you scan what's going on in the world today, keep in mind, this thing could go down. It's taken a long time to get. This thing could go down very rapidly. The rapture of the church, I believe, could happen at any moment. Everything has been fulfilled for that to occur, and I believe the Ezekiel 39 war could happen at any moment. And when you look at the alignment of the nations today that have come against Israel between Russia and Iran and Libya, those nations are in place, and they have the missile capability, and you got Putin that's bragging that, you know, we're in the crosshairs. His new supersonic missile that can't be taken out by any of our other missiles is now available. And we got the U.S. in the crosshairs. 
And then Trump goes on and says, well, we've now doing away with the treaty that you violated all these years, Russia, and China's not even signed in on, and we're going to go and develop a shield, and we're going to develop missiles. So it's on. You had a question? I believe that the Ezekiel War goes on and then the tribulation follows. That's my personal opinion. The point of this is I believe two major events are, can be fulfilled right now. The rapture of the church, if you're, if you're a pre-trib rapture, it could happen tonight, right? And I believe the Ezekiel War is set, that stage. That is not the battle of Armageddon. Go read Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39. And it's like, it's the latter day. It's these are the alignments. These are the nations. This is how it's going to go down. And I agree with, hey, it can happen now. And so that's to say that, wow, this thing could really happen, really come together in a, in a rapid fashion. Okay, a little light there. But we, we, last year, we, we, uh, last week, we didn't quite finish. I ran through the last part of chapter 9, so I want to I do that a little better, better. If you can pick up last week's handout on page 25, and if you're following along in the unveiling uh, Revelation book, we're on page 170, and I'll just c- kind of summarize. We, we read through chapter 9, and we got to the place where it's, a, it's actually a short chapter, but in chapter 9, is it warm in here? Whew. Pastor Mike, would you, or Jim, would you crank her down just a little bit? I'm warm, but I get warm anyway, so, all right. Well, let's look at verse 1, and we'll kind of summarize some of chapter 9. So, Revelation chapter 9, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, which is the thought-for-thought translation, but I will also, I have a parallel Bible that has the King James, which is the word-for-word, and we'll, I like to go between both. Verse 1, the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the earth to the sky, and it was given the name, given a key, the angel was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out through a huge furnace, and the sunlight and the air turned dark and from smoke. Locusts came from the smoke, descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or the plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill, but only to torture them for five months. Pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts, they looked like horses prepared for battle, but they what they looked like had gold crowns on their head and their faces looked like a human faces. They had hair like a woman's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron and their wings roared like the, an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions and for five months they had the power to torment the people. The king is the angel from the bottomless pit In Hebrew, his name is Abandon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. That stands in the presence of God. And the voice from said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels that are bound in the great rivers Euphrates. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour, day, and month, who were turned loose to kill one-third of the people on earth. And I heard the size of their army 
which was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor, fiery red, dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions, fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of the people on the earth were killed by these three plagues. By the fire and the smoke, burning sulfur came from the mouth of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes and the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and to turn to God. They continued to worship demons and and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders, their witchcraft, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So, it's kind of like, wow. Now, try to get a picture of this. Here's John around 90 AD, and try to accelerate. If you were sitting in that time, and you try to visualize modern-day warfare, how would, you, how would you describe a tank? You know, how would you describe you know, the body armor that everybody wears, right? Um, Flamethrowers. None of these things were existing at the time, and, and he gets this vision forward, and it's like, he's trying to describe these things. And so, again, a lot of figurative pictures here to try to understand what they is. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's kind of look at some of what I believe is important for this scripture. First of all, the destroyer. I'm on page 171 if you're covering, covering along in here. And if you're in, uh, in your handout on page 25, the, if you look at the description, first of all, um, this tormenting for five months, that, there, there is, if you've ever seen the, ga- the chemical attacks that happened in Syria, when we launched missiles against the Syrian government, right, when Assad did, and we validated that, and then we launched cruise missiles into that, if you looked at the pictures of the children and the, and the adults that were hurt in the chemical attack, can you imagine a chemical warfare that brings such torment, but they don't die? And for five months, they're on some form of life support, that possibly is for today. And again, John is trying to see this from 90 AD forward to maybe chemical warfare. So you can visualize these people are in, you know, they're in ICU, they're hurting, they're really sick, but they're not dead. And so, but we know that the, the destroyer, Apollyon, in the bottom of page 171, in Revelation 9, 11, there. Well, who is this guy, right? So we know, verse 11, that the locust king in your handout says, it's Satan. And it opens the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I started down this path last week, and I just want to flesh this out a little more, because I thought it was interesting, that when this release of these demonic things, what is this that's locked up in the river Euphrates, right? So if you look on 174, the river Euphrates, that it's one of the greatest rivers that's uh, in the Bible. It's Many believe that the Garden of Eden was there. Of course, Egypt, uh, a lot of Israel's enemies, the Persian Empire. It's kind of in a central location. And, and in the middle of that page of 174, LaHaye says this, These four evil angels are bound today in the area of the world, and it's no accident, for it seems that some of the world's greatest events took place around this river. Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, Babylon, idolatries. So we see at this evil army that is now being inspired or pulled along and led, 
well, what about this evil army of 200 million? Now, if you've read forward in Revelation, you know, I believe it's in Revelation uh, 14, where it talks about the 200 million man army that comes and marches against Israel. The commentators are split on this. Lehay does not believe that they're human, that this 200 million man army is spiritual. And so, if you've been studying anything, I don't know if you watch the Super Bowl stuff, any of the, just turn on the television. Do you know how many robotic AI things are coming in? More and more. And it, robots, robots and artificial intelligence is coming. They're already talking about unmanned aircraft. We already got drones. And so, when you start looking about what could this possibly be, these may not be human, but they're inspired by darkness. So, I'm just going to leave it there. Um, Whether it's a human army inspired by demons or it is not human and it's evil, either way, one-third of the world is destroyed. Now, it's 7.1 billion people as of last week in the earth estimated. So, that's a large number. And so, the we know that the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we read that in Revelation 6-8, that they, this group kills one-third, and we already know that 25% of the population was killed by the horsemen. So we're looking at over half the population of the world at this point. Over one-half the world's population has been annihilated. Now, when you start to look at who are these beasts and, and how did they... How did they get unlocked and how did it get so evil? I just want to point out that um, there's some interesting scripture that you, you got to really kind of ask the Holy Spirit about, but you remember where it said that there were these spirits that were chained in the bottomless pit? Now, I'm going to bounce them back. Go back to 169 if you're doing your handout. But in the abyss, the bottomless pit, this is not hell or Hades. It's been suggested that it may be the bottom of a great gulf between Hades that separates the place of torment and the place of comfort. And you recall in Luke 16, right? I think we shared this. I can't remember Sunday or Wednesday. Sorry, guys. But remember where it says the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man dies, and he goes into the place of torment. And Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom, which is a place of safety or a holding area because we're now talking pre-resurrection. So those believers who... those Faithful Jews at that point, believers in God, Yahweh, who had been faithful, they are in this holding place with Father Abraham. We know that, that Lazarus is there. And of course, the rich man says, let Lazarus come dip his finger. I'm in torment in the flames, right? So we know there is a place that exists. When you put together the scriptures in Ephesians where it says, Jesus went into the depths before he ascended. He had to descend first. Peter's scripture, I think 2 Peter says, where he says those prisoners that have been locked in this place, when you start putting these scriptures together, there are a group of demons that are so wicked, they've been locked up until now. And during God's wrath, he says to the angel, okay, let them loose. And they go unlock this thing, and this brings the destruction. And so, we also know that there are other demons. We'll talk maybe a little bit about that as well when we get to Revelation chapter 12. In the war in heaven, we know that one-third of the demons that were cast out of heaven with Satan during the, during the rebellion in heaven, one-third of them are 
demonic spirits that are now existent, we believe, in the earth today. And if you've ever done a deliverance or seen somebody tormented, that, those are ground-level demons or higher-level demons. Ephesians speaks of there are levels of darkness, right? Matthew, uh, Mark 9 also says that, right? A man brings his child to the father. Or the father brings it to Jesus, says, how long has this been going on? He casts the child, the, the demon out of the child. And back, the boys later ask him, well, how come we couldn't cast out? And they, Jesus says, this kind goes out by prayer and fasting. And so there are different levels and kinds. These guys are bad. And they're stored up, somehow locked up at this point, and the angel takes the key and they are released. So just interesting, when you look at the scriptures and try to put it together, who were they? What made them so evil? What's different about them? There's some theories about that, that during the rebellion, they may have been the ones that saw, remember in Genesis, uh, there was the, there was this Nephiliums, the the giants and those that were, were birthed out of the maybe copulation that happened between these angels and the women that looked fair in the earth. And so that's a very mysterious scripture. But one of the postulations is maybe these were the guys that were in such rebellion that were later destroyed. Maybe descendants of that were at least we know that um, Goliath and his brothers. There were at least five giants that were killed by David's army and David. Just, I just plant that as a thought. Um, I can't obviously be dogmatic about it, but it's an interesting thought. There's certainly these guys are bad. They've been held up in gloomy dungeons. Second Peter two four says, "Let's just turn there for a minute." I wasn't going to go there, but let's just give you a, go to Second Peter two verse four. Peter's talking about the danger of false prophets, but he says this. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, there, there were false prophets in Israel, this is Peter, 2 Peter 2.1, just as there were false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching, shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the wrath, will be, uh, the wrath of truth, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and the destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits and darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others and his family. Noah warned the world of, its, of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world and ungodly people. So again, that scripture tends to kind of coincide, I think, possibly for this, certainly the, the judgment and wrath of God. Okay. Now, the commentator, another commentator on the bottom of your handout on page 25, he believes that this is, correlates to the Revelation 16 army and believes they're human. So I guess, you know, tomato, tomato. They're bad, right? And they come and they do bad stuff. So whether they are a human army and they are related to the kings of the east and the orient that will come, we'll see that in Revelation 16 um, with their overland, tra- overland travel. I guess it's, it's speculative as to what, and I don't think it really matters. They certainly are inspired by, by the wrath that's coming. 
Okay, so let's put aside handout two and go to handout three now. And if you'll turn to page 26 in chapter 10. The angel and the small scroll, chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, and his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like the pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret. What the seven thunders said and do not, what they have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Well, that's, that's pretty firm right there. And I believe the no more delay means his time is up. It's time to execute all these judgments. All right, so let's um, pick up in verse 8, Revelation 10, 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him, give me the small scroll. Yes, take it. And eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it'll turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Let's read on and we'll come back. 11.1, the two witnesses. Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar. Count the number of worshipers, but don't measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will be prophesying during those 1,260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They will have the power to shut up the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and the oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. And when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will declare war against them. He will conquer them and kill them. 
and their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all the peoples, tribes, languages, nations will stare at them and their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them, and all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other and to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them. They stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And as they rose to heaven in a cloud, as their enemies watched, at the time, at the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in the earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second terror is past, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of, our, of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell on their faces to the ground and worshiped Him, and they said, We give thanks to You, Lord God, the Almighty, the One who is and who always was. For now You have assumed Your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name. From the least to the greatest, it is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of the covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed Thunder crashed and roared. There was an earthquake and a terrible hailstone. Whew, boy. Yipes. All right, let's take a look at page 26 in your handout. And if you're following along in the LaHaye book, we're in page 178, The Mighty Angel and the Little Scroll. Well, first of all, who is this mighty angel? If you look at um, that description in, in that chapter 10, and there's some debate about that. I believe it becomes clear as you read through it, this really is not Christ. Many have thought, well, maybe it's Jesus Christ himself. LaHaye makes a pretty good argument that it's not. It's really a, a pretty mighty angel, um, deba- debated by, uh, it doesn't say. It's a mighty angel. We, we, it doesn't doesn't identify him. We know in the book of Daniel that it was Gabriel. We know that uh, the book of Daniel also says that Michael was summoned, and the two of those guys, we know, uh, fight against these mighty demonic forces over the prince of Persia and Greece, and, but it doesn't say. But we go on and it says that it's, if you look at the scriptures, how after, now this is the resurrected Christ, so his deity is clear, and we see that, we read that in the beginning of the book of Revelation, right? The one who lives forever and ever, who is tried and true, has the keys. So, it's my understanding that this is a mighty angel, but it's not Christ himself. 
Now, we do know that 66 times God references or calls out the, the angelic 66 times throughout this book. Angels are identified in the book. So I believe that this is probably a major angel. I don't know if that's relevant, but it t- does say that Christ is certainly in charge. Now, what about the book? What are these seven voices and the seven thunder-like voices, and what are they? And it says sealed up. This is another mysterious thing. Why was John told to keep that quiet? There's no indication as to why. But he was told, no, don't share this. We do know from the study of the book of Daniel, we may look at this uh, in a few weeks. In the book of Daniel, when Gabriel brought that to him, we know that part of his prophecy, he told Daniel, don't reveal it now, reveal it later. And we know after he had, Daniel had served King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, after he had served his son, Belshazzar, and, and then he serves um, Darius, the, the king, the Medo-Persian king who destroys Darius. He serves all those kings, right? And then he reveals his dream and he reveals the details in Daniel chapter 9, 10, 11, which shows all the kingdoms of the earth, which in detail, it'll blow your mind, the detail that was given in that, again, written before it occurred. So we know now that this thundering-like voice and the sealed-up secret of this, I don't understand why that was sealed. John knows what it was, whatever he saw. It's not clear he ever revealed what that was. So we'll just leave that as a mystery. Seal it up, he says in, in uh, verse chapter 10, verse 4, and it was sealed up. Let's look at um, the little scroll. What is this? Can you tell me anywhere else in Scripture where we got somebody eating the scroll? Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel was one of those locations. In fact, we reference that. In Ezekiel 3, um, the Lord told Ezekiel, eat it. Right, eat it. Jeremiah 15 was told also. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel, remember these are words. He said, "Eat the scroll," and all, this is the word of God. It's like we we believe that this the scroll. Remember who opened the scroll? Who was given the authority? The Lamb was given the ability to open the scroll. We said that's probably the the title deed to the world. And those seals are broken. Who is able to break the seals? We know the seals were broken by the Lamb. It's being poured out. So at this point, it's being fulfilled. And he says, John, I need you now to prophesy. Remember, he goes on, he says, you need to prophesy again to the nations. He eats the word of the scroll. It takes him. How about in John chapter 6, the one that caused a lot of controversy with a whole bunch of disciples, right? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me, right? Who is he? He's the word. So it's, again, consistent with Scripture. He's about to prophesy. Some of the stuff is mysterious, told not to, but the rest he's about to release. And he eats the scroll, and he starts to prophesy and tell, again, what is happening. So this little scroll is, again, I think important, and it it correlates, again, to Jeremiah 15, Ezekiel 3. And we're supposed to be people who eat the Word, digest the Word, make it part of who you are, right? 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 And so that's that part. We, we, we just honor the Word of God because it's good, right? All right. So when you look at your handout on page 26, there is a mystery there. That's in uh, the seven thunders. There's some mystery there affecting that. In, in Roman numeral four, John eats the little book, the Word, 
We see that both the Jeremiah revelation uh, there as well. Uh, highlights from this. There's this tremendous operation significance, and yet God instructs him not to reveal it. The other part of this in verse 6 where he says, it's up, time is over, it's over. No more delay. I think that's significant as well. Now, who are these two witnesses? Anybody want to venture a guest? Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Enoch and Elijah. Anybody else? Think about what we just read, right? Um, Moses, you think could be Moses? Okay. Let's, maybe we can kind of learn some of the mystery of this. First of all, what do these two witnesses do? They're witnessing, obviously, right? They're, you've got the 144,000. Remember, we, we know now that there are 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe. We've got Jewish evangelists going wild. They are born-again believers. Spirit-filled says they have not defiled themselves with women. They're unmarried men. These are devoted to, to God and Christ Himself, and they are they are dealing, and there's this major evangelistic move that's going on. Well, then the two witnesses come on the scene. Look at what they're doing, these two witnesses. Um, one, they have, there are plagues. There's a number of plagues that are, let's see if I can pull those up. Um, many of the plagues are similar to what was in Egypt. Who was in Egypt? <laughs> Let my people go, right? Um, who is the one who is able to call? They, they have fire, right? If they get challenged, they can... Mm, how about Elijah? Remember? We were in Israel, right? We stood on above the valley of Megiddo. We saw there was the prophet Elijah. Got a big statue of him there that uh, they honor him. And when he went against the Baal prophets, right? Remember the story? Go ahead, you know, you, you bring your God, I'll bring my God, and whoever answers by fire, that's the one we'll serve, right? And, you know, it's, it's a humorous story, right? He says, okay, so, they, you know, you got all the warlocks there, they're cutting themselves and hurting themselves, and, and uh, well, maybe your God is taking a break, maybe he's taking a nap, maybe he's using the restroom, right? Like, <laughs> and so, and then he says, okay, now, I've given you all day to do this, now go ahead and cut a trench around mine, put the sacrifice on there, and pour buckets on it. And of course, God answers by fire, and all of Jezebel's prophets are killed that day, all right? So, Elijah. So, we know who were the people who were, who did never, never tasted death? Elijah and Enoch, right? Enoch was translated, right? He walked with God, and God took him. And, I, and Elijah was caught up in the chariot of fire, right? And, and Elisha says, my father, my father, right? He's caught up, right? He gets a double portion. So if you kind of look at, okay, these two guys, Enoch and Elijah didn't die. Who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Peter, James, and John? Elijah and Moses, right? Peter wakes up from his nap. He goes, oh, my Lord, look, at this Moses and Elijah. Let's build an altar right here. And the father shows up in a cloud. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? And it's like, so he represents the prophet and the law. So there's a debate. There are those that say it's Enoch and Elijah and those who say it's Moses and Elijah. I'll just tell you, my opinion is it's Moses and Elijah. But hey, you can argue both sides of it. Um, he, 
they couldn't remember. Remember the battle in the book of Jude? Satan wanted Moses' body so he could go make a shrine out of it and get all the people idolatry, and God buried him somewhere. <laughs> Don't know where he is. But we know he's alive. That's just because why? When he's in heaven and then visits with the Father to the Mount of Transfiguration, they are alive. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And so, again, this is debatable, but these are two supernatural witnesses who come. And, and if you look on page 182 in, in, in LaHaye's book, and then you look here at your handout, turn to page 27 in your handout, the two witnesses. One, we know that there's divine protection over these two witnesses. They, this, is, this is important for us. If you've got an assignment by God, the devil can't kill you until your assignment, or the Lord won't take you home until your assignment's finished. And we've been in some places, right, Miss Addie? The devil wanted to kill us, machetes and threats and all sorts of stuff. Can't touch us. Yep, can't touch me now, isn't it? Michael Jackson or something? All right, yeah. Scratch that from the tape. I don't know where that came from. Whew, glory. All right. Um, So we know that in your handout, page 27, the two witnesses, for three and a half years, they have divine protection. They are a real pain to the Antichrist. <laughs> They're just like, man, we can't handle it. It's like they're walking in this bubble, and people who try to come after them, he's probably got hit squads that come after They end up dead. And so this is a supernatural group two, a group of two that are amazing. Talk about superheroes, right? But then once their assignment is finished, this is how the devil gets trapped, and the Lord always dumps the tables on them, right? They celebrate. It's like it's Christmas in Jerusalem. And it says, again, this is the only generation that we've been able to see between CNN, Fox News, all that, right, BBC. You can watch all this live from in your living room. It says the whole world watches and celebrates as these two witnesses are laying dead for three and a half days in Jerusalem. And they're giving gifts. It's time to celebrate because now the Antichrist, right, this is a time where the godlessness and all that, we're not celebrating Christmas probably anymore, right? Church is gone. So we need something to celebrate. So let's celebrate the Antichrist. And hey, we killed these crazy guys that opposed us. Everybody give a party. It's time to party down. Yeah. And then guess what God does? The ascension. He breathes life in. Imagine CNN and all them. Like, Yay, they're all dead. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, I'm back. <laughs> and it's like, and then he. It's believed that that throws, again, a major... Remember, the 144,000 are still alive. Now, there's great martyrdom going on, but that probably... Can you imagine witnessing that? Those who have not received the mark at this point, there's, again, a major conversion of people to believe that God is who He says He is. So these, these witnesses, um, you look at Roman numeral 3 there on page 27. The second woe is now completed, and the trumpet, sixth trumpet, and the sixth vial... It says, this is that projection. Now John and the angel, they look forward and they start to declare, the end of this is coming. And what they're saying prophetically, John is prophesying, he says, I see the reign of Christ. It's coming. He's going to rule and reign. And he signals, 
also that there's a battle of Armageddon. There's a, there's a battle that's coming. Then there's this, the martyrs who are resurrected and judged, the two witnesses that are rewarded, and the saints from the tribulation are rewarded. There is, you talk about drama and what's going on. It's a, there were those skeptics, and you can read this if you got the, in the book on page 183. There were skeptics that tried to say there was a, an antichrist that fulfilled this prophecy who was the, the Greco-Syrian ruler. One of them, his, his name is Antiochus. Epiphanes. In 168, he was the guy who came into Jerusalem and desecrated the temple, slaughtered a pig on the temple altar, and brought God Zeus into the temple. And then uh, the Maccabees, was it Justice Maccabees? There's a revolution that comes up. The Jews destroy, battle him out, kick him out, and for the next X number of years, I think it's a year and a half, a couple of years, they restore the temple from where it was and, and bring the uh, get rid of the defilement. This does not fulfill all of the things we just read, obviously. The whole world watched, and, and so the two witnesses, where are they? No. So he was an antichrist, but he's not the antichrist. Now, there's a debate, and I just, I just come down with, I believe, there are those that says, well, you don't have to have a physical temple. Because they were trying to say, how are they going to do this? They're going to call World War III if they ever went and knocked down the Dome of the Rock right now and tried to rebuild the temple. But I just gave you a scenario. If there was a world war and the Israelis were able to defeat, God defeats the Russians, and there's this world peace, you could see that come together. And now that they have the plans and the, and the purpose, we read in Thessalonians that the, He declares Himself. Remember Jesus declared when the son of perdition, stands in the holy place and desecrates the temple. Both Daniel said it. Jesus quoted it in Matthew 24. And then in Thessalonians, Paul says, in chapter 2, he says, and that this man, the Antichrist, stands in the temple and declares himself to be God. I believe there has to be a physical temple. And we also know, we'll read from the book of Revelation, the Jews who have not received Christ they reinstitute Old Testament sacrifices for a season. So we and we saw all the. I'm telling you, we saw all the exact materials in the in the book in the museum, the uh, Temple Museum in Jerusalem. It's there. They have all the. They have it right down to what the vestments of the priests will wear, the sacrificial things. In fact, they rolled it out during one of their celebrations. They brought out some of the elements of the new temple. I believe it's, gonna, it's literal. I think, you know, it's hard to see that years ago, but I think we can see it now. All right. If you look at, um, on page 186 and 187, uh, LaHaye makes the, the argument on, is it, who are these witnesses? He uses the, is it Elijah? Is it Enoch? Is it John the Baptist? Is it Moses? And recall, remember, what does Malachi chapter 4 say about Elijah? He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, right? What do you think's going on here during the tribulation hour when families are betraying one another? Jesus said, fathers will kill sons. And do-. there's, a, there's a whole lot of family issues going on, right? And here comes Elijah, one of the witnesses. Fits well with Malachi chapter 4. 
He'll be the one that will cause the children to, you need to restore yourself with your father and fathers to, and so I believe that's, we could probably all agree, sounds like Elijah. So now the debate is, well, was it Moses or Enoch or is it John the Baptist? And so Lahay says this, he goes, there are three, however, three good reasons why I believe, he believes it's Moses. In Matthew 17, 1, it says, when the Lord Jesus was transfigured, the witnesses, Peter, James, and John, those two representatives were Moses and Elijah. Number two, Moses manifested the power to bring the plagues. So if you look at the plagues that are coming in that chapter, very similar, right? Turning things to blood, and we're getting there, right? Um, so the, the fact that he is able to do those same things that he did in the Old Testament. And then number three, Moses in an integral part of the Jewish family tradition. Moses and Elijah combined represent the Old Testament. And then he uses that example there. That so, so I see, and then of course he, he also references that Malachi chapter 4. So I, when, the, when the Antichrist kills the two witnesses... I want to ask you a question. When it says the city, the holy city, this is in uh, where it calls them Sodom and Egypt. What are your thoughts on that? That's in verse, so chapter 11, verse 8. It says, Their bodies lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively, figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. What do you think he's trying to represent there? What does Sodom represent to you? Yeah, immorality, perversion, homosexuality. There's debauchery. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The angels come in there, and the men want to have sex with the, with the angels, and Lot offers his daughters. It's just a, it's a wicked, wicked perversion. And then Egypt, what does that represent? Yeah, captivity, slavery, um, materialism. How about the wealth of Egypt? Uh, There's there's uh, a portion there that's dealt with, I think, in 188. It says, one of the commentaries um, speaks of the perversion. And unfortunately, um, like any of the modern cities today, if you go to Tel Aviv, there is a lot of homosexuality in Tel Aviv. Now, they're talking about Jerusalem. The Orthodox Jews, they'll have nothing of it. But again, this is transition, and this is now after a lot of what has taken place already in the tribulation. So it represents debauchery and evil and perversion, and um, the city is ready to be judged, and the two prophets are there. Let's look at... um, He makes a point here that this is the only generation that all of this could only take place where everyone can watch everything that's going on, right? Didn't we watch the Gulf War on TV? I mean, it's wild what we can do, right, with all the satellites and everything. So prior generations, they could read this and say, I wonder how that's going to happen. But now, again, we have this fulfillment possible with all of the the technology that's come. And this Christmas-like celebration, um, there are those... If you look at where he says, come up here, where the two witnesses are said, come up hither. The mid-tribbers, we're right at the point of mid-tribulation. The mid-tribbers who believe that the rapture now, they use this scripture as one of the ones that says, 
this is where the church and everybody gets raptured out. I don't buy it. Um, if you look at it, look, if you think of it, it says, after three and a half days, the breath of life God has entered into them again. They stand on their feet. Terror strikes them who saw them. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. So they use that Revelation chapter, uh, verse 11 and 12 as a tribulation scripture. Because where did we hear that before? Come up hither. Yep. Chapter 4, right? Verse 1, told John, come up hither. Um, we also know in, in Corinthians, right? In the, in the last trumpet, the blow, the dead in Christ shall rise first, right? And we who are alive will be caught up together in them. We know that rapture scripture, Thessalonian scripture. And so this correlates. Has there been any, have we read any mention of the church since chapter 3? Zero mention of the church, Right? And this clearly identifies the two witnesses are called up in the ascension, but there is no others caught up together with them. So I, 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 don't, I don't see this as a good mid-trib confirmation in Scripture about the, I don't believe the church is here. Now, there are those that are being martyred and there are those that are being converted, but this is not that. There is, the church is not here. But we also know that um, the unrepentant, heart of man. What is going on that if you, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine if you saw all that, how could you have hardened your heart so much to not bow down and worship him? I, 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 that deception of what's going on at this point is, is just hard to believe. Now, we know those who have received the mark, they're doomed. They're done. I just read you from Israel. Can you, can you feel the lockdown with that biometrics? That, can you feel that lockdown? That you can't buy or sell, you can't travel, you can't fill your gas tank unless you got that. And it'll all sound good. Well, you know, we've got all this. We need a cash society. We need this control because people are stealing your identity. Where's that coming from? Set up. It's a setup. So... Again, this is all marching to that place, but it's going to be, if you can't buy or sell and you can't do anything and they can track you, the, the, this is, the Israeli government, the, the Knesset has decided, and I believe it's, I think it's probably legitimate for security reasons, right? If you've got terrorists seeking through Hamas, we know they're tunneling under, uh, Hezbollah's tunneling under Lebanon, right? They're discovering their tunnels. They're building, talk about building a wall. The Israelis are building a major wall across Lebanon right now. Walls work. And so um, this point that Knesset, I'm sure, is saying, hey, this is for security reasons. And yet, they don't, that's correct. They said, oh, well, that New Testament mark of the beast, what are you talking about? So... Again, and they have a scale on their eyes for, for a season, for our benefit, right? We Gentiles are coming in. No, I, I believe it's still safe to go to Israel. Matter of fact, I feel, felt safer in Israel than I do in some of the downtown cities I've been in. Yes, right now. Yes, you can. But there's a, it's transitioning into that place. And, you know, even when we went from... When we were in, uh, we went to Singapore, went to Nepal and India, right? Um, you start to go in, they're starting to upgrade all of the systems to track terrorists worldwide. 
So the retina scans and the, the, the tracking of individuals, it's coming. Well, right now, right now it's still loose. I mean, they're not, you can still buy or sell, and, and so we don't get too worried. And, but if they come out and say, hey, it's time for you to get the biochip and, and all that, I, I believe there'll be a, as long as the church is on earth, there'll be a big outcry. We aren't doing that, right? We aren't voting for any politicians that do that. We have a pretty large voice. But take the church out, right? Put a nuclear war in the middle of it, and, man, we're, we're golden. We're going to good, good to go there, I think. All right. Um, so, does Revelation 11, 11, and 12 teach the mid-trib rapture? No, I don't believe it does. Um, the come up here, first of all, it's only the two witnesses. This is on page 190. Uh, there are no saints included in this rapture. There's no clear dead in Christ, right, being raised in First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. And there's no mention of the church in the three and a half years from chapter 4 to where we are in 11. There's no mention of the church. And yet we know that in chapters 1 through 3, the church was mentioned 17 times. So I think they build a pretty... I, I'm starting... Ter, Pastor Terry and I are starting to lean towards pre-trib, Right? Where I'm liking it, <laughs> but I'm trying to validate it by Scripture, right? Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't see it. We also know that John's rapture in, in uh, Revelation 4, verse 1, is a picture of the rapture where John is brought up as a representative. All right. We've got a few more minutes. Let's, let's, let's jump into, if you look at page, um, again in the book, 192, it says, the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which is the third woe, does not initiate anything on earth. Instead, it is much like the breaking of the seventh seal in Revelation 8. It introduces a series of judgments, the seven bowls. So if you look at, again, in your handout, where, you, where we see that in, in uh, page 27 there, the second woe, the sixth trumpet, and the sixth vial. And we can see from the, this angelic chorus that takes place, it says, the seventh angel, this is Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. There's an interesting scripture um, also in Psalm 50 that... Um, why don't you turn there if you can. Turn back to Psalm 50 in verse 1 through 6. If you have uh, LaHaye's book, it's on page 194. I had not seen that scripture before as it correlated, but that Psalm 51 through 6, this is the reference to God both sealing and protecting, but also rescuing and when he says the time has come for the judging of the dead, if you look at Revelation 11, was that verse 16? See, 11, 16, it says, the trumpet sounds, we give thanks to you, Lord, the 24, uh, um, let's start in 15, it says, the seventh trumpet blew, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders 
fell on their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, O Lord, God Almighty, the one who is and always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign, and the nations will be filled with wrath. But now the time of your wrath has come, and it is time to judge the dead. What dead is he talking about? Right. Good, good. That's an excellent question because this is a, we're getting to the last trumpet. But it says, and, and there's a, the debate is, is that the last trumpet or was the, the, the last trumpet for the church? And the argument for the pre-tribbers is it's the last trumpet for the church. The church is out of here. And you, the, the Feast of Trumpets, right? And so the, it looks at the feast days and says the church is out of here. Um, but that's an argument you could make is there's a last trumpet. So the mid-tribbers can use that as another scripture that says, well, there's the last trumpet. And the witnesses were brought up. So, again, I, I kind of still hold to the pre-trib, though, Terry. All right. Um, the judging of the dead. There's, a, there's an interesting scripture here. If you, are you there in, in uh, Psalm 150? It says this. Uh, I'm sorry, not Psalm 50, excuse me. Psalm 51 through 6. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the places where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth, and he may judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones. I made a covenant with me. They made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is the judge. We're going to see this, and just park this thought for a minute. We know that the dead who never are redeemed, they're going to get judged in the great white throne judgment. We'll see that later, right? We know that we, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it is, prop, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, right? So in the timing of these scriptures, Lehay makes a point. He says, I believe that this judgment of the dead here are Old Testament saints who were loyal to Yahweh. I'll just plant that as a thought um, in order to, to see that scripture. When you look at Psalm 50 there, the commentaries are silent. If you look in your scriptures, I looked in the Bible, you gave me John, I looked at all, it's pretty silent around the Psalm 150 other than uh, a couple of the commentators from Revelation say that scripture in Psalm 50 is speaking about the gather my consecrated ones. What is that? They're the ones that have stayed holy and, and kept themselves. They have made a covenant with me. God is a, go- a covenant keeping by, with me by sacrifice. He also says that there are martyred saints that are in the tribulation that are judged at this point because we see them around the throne. Who are all these? Remember, we read, who are all these? They are the ones that came out of the great tribulation. So they're in heaven and they're around the throne. We also know that the Old Testament saints who were loyal, who have been consecrated, made covenant, the whole big family is going to be together because we're getting ready for Revelation 19. We're coming back. The whole family's coming back. That's going to be a... T- oh, I'm getting it right now. I like that. John? He also said that when the, when the, the scriptures and in the tribulation, those who have been martyred, and they're in the throne room, they'll have the palm leaves, right? 
Yes. So they're victorious. So again, this scripture, there's this place, they've been judged, but they're not the dead that have never given their lives to Christ. That'll come later during the great white throne judgment. We'll look at that later in, in Revelation. What about this temple in heaven? It says, in, in Revelation eleven nineteen, it says, God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, earthquake, and a great hailstone. The hailstorm, that, that, it's like, what is that all about? These things, if you look at, turn to page, um, page 27A. We kind of look through who are the 12 witnesses there. We know, we've kind of looked at that whole thing. Who are the prophets? Where are they, where are they from? And then you start looking at, they're like, uh, somewhere I saw that these, they, I don't know how they estimated this, but they feel these hailstones were 120 pounds. That's quite a hailstone. Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Page 27 in your handout kind of walks you through all of what we've already talked about. But on 27B... Verse 19, it says, The temple is opened and the Ark of the Covenant is seen inside. Lightnings, thunderings, earthquakes, great hail. Revelation 6 describes this in detail as the upheaval of nature which occurs after the opening of the sixth seal. So this, uh, this the, the Ark of the Covenant, as far as I know, they don't know where it is. Right? Anybody, there's debates, right? Didn't we hear somebody thought, well... Yeah, I think if they found it, we'd see it, but hey, um, I, I've heard some of those things. But we do know this, that the, apparently the, the doorway in, in heaven is open, the covenant that has been made, the ark is there. Now, I will tell you this, there is an exact replica in the museum in Jerusalem ready to be placed in the temple when it's built. We saw it. It's behind a glass and all that, right? And so... Um, all I, all I can tell you is that there is this place where heaven is opened and there is this place where the covenant of the ark is there. Um, I'll ask you to turn, if you will, to page 27C. I, I, I pulled this out of LaHaye's book and it was just a correlation of these uh, amazing evangelists that were there. The comparison of the 144,000 that we read about in chapter 7 that we're going to read again in chapter 14. And it, it goes through the, the correlation of who they are and how amazing these evangelists are. Talk about Billy Graham's on steroids released everywhere. Okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to stop here. Um, if you will pick up and read chapter 12, we're going to look at the woman and the dragon and then we're going to get into the beast that comes out of the sea. And then we're going to, we'll, we'll probably get through chapter 14. We'll do our best. We have three more Wednesday nights after tonight. Um, and we'll look at the lamb and the 144,000 that sing the new song. Um, we're getting there. Praise God. You guys getting excited, enthused? Questions? Uh, we, 
Yes, in Revelation, at three, we're about to get there because remember, at this point, he's not revealed. When he stands in the tent, first of all, he's made, he's, there's going to be a peace agreement. I think gets, he's going to make a peace agreement with Israel. He's going to be a great negotiator. Uh, he's going to set this place in motion where he, well, let's have peace. Israel agrees. I think that's where the temple gets built. I think I gave you a postulation it's because of a, a, a minimized nuclear war that takes place. He emerges on the scene as a great negotiator. Could come out of Brussels. Right now, you've heard it, Andrea Merkel, the Germans are leading the European Union about surrender sovereignty. She's quoted. I have, she said, look, all of the nations need to surrender your sovereignty to Brussels. So Europe is on its way. That's why there is a major spiritual battle going on right now in Great Britain. This whole thing, um, Theresa May survived the vote that took place because Brexit, she, she failed to bring the Brexit through. But you got your legislators in Europe, in uh, England, who have said, no, that deal with, with us leaving the European Union, that's, we don't agree to that. I believe, this is just me, I believe England is going to get out of the European Union, even though it was only 52% of their population voted to leave Brexit, right? They're going to get out, and they're going to protect their sovereignty. But the rest of Europe is being overrun right now. There are nations you wouldn't even recognize. I used to travel there a lot. And at this point, they've opened up the doors. They are now being infiltrated. And I believe what's going to happen is the one world government can emerge. And we'll look at this in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel, when you look at the emergence of those nations that have come out of the Roman Empire, and he will emerge from that position as a leader, and he will stand up, and after he breaks the agreement with Israel, he declares himself to be God, there will be a false prophet that will rise. He's probably a religious leader. I'm not making any comments now, but keep your eyes wide open what's going on. When you have prominent religious leaders that are starting to do ecumenical movements of bringing all the faiths together, that's a good thing. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers, but be careful. Let's keep our eyes wide open. There's going to be a false prophet, and there's going to be a beast, and those people are going to come in place, and they're going to start, and he's going to be revealed who it is. They believe he's alive right now, but there's all sorts of postulations of who it is. Yes, he is not revealed yet. Yep. Pastor Kyle, I want to share something. Sorry, if it's okay with you. Uh, the Lord gave me a dream last night, and then uh, I was looking at the words I got from the interpretation, but it's dealing with the last days. Would it be all right if I share that for just a few seconds? If you'd be quick, John, because I want to make sure you pick up the kids. The Lord gave me a dream last night. Now, I believe it's pre-trib. Oh, let me get a microphone. Hang on. Yeah, it's on. Okay. You got it. All right. The Lord gave me a dream last night, and uh, I'm pre-trib is what I believe. But um, it's dealing with the last days. Last night I dreamed that I was in heaven with Jesus, and Jesus was preparing to come back. The rapture had already taken place, and um, we had already had the marriage supper of the land, and Jesus had the bride of Christ with him, and I was with the Lord and he was getting ready for the final battle where he was going to come back and, and do away with, with, the, with the beast, with the Antichrist, 
and Satan at the end where Satan was going to be locked up in the pit. Wow, that's a heck of a dream. Okay. Ooh. But what happened was I, Jesus showed me this beast that was on the earth. And in the dream, I didn't know exactly what the beast represented. And, um, and so I was with Jesus. And um, when I got it, when I woke up, I looked up beast in, in my concordance to, to see what it meant in Revelation. And when I read in Revelation chapter 13, the beast, he was very, he was, he had a lot of, I feared a lot of, I felt a lot of fear with him because he was very demonic. And the beast represents the Antichrist. Yeah. So what I got from the dream was, is that we need to be watchful and be focused on the Lord in our minds and in our hearts because Jesus said he's coming back very soon. And the end is near, the end is near, the end is near. So we need to be watchful and waiting on the Lord because Jesus said, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. The end is near, the end is near, the end is near. Wow. So good... let's be focused on the Lord in our mind and our hearts Amen. because the end is near. Amen. Amen. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew 24, be ready. It comes in such an hour as you All right. Well, let's stand. Thank you for your patience, Lord. We, whew, Lord, help us. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we can have an understanding. But that knowledge, that revelation, that understanding, that wisdom needs to be a motivator so that we can be ready and that we can have clean hands and a pure heart that David spoke of in his Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. I ask for restful sleep. Yes, give us dreams and visions. We don't scoff at prophecy, but, Lord, give us a peace because we know that you rescue your people, and we thank you. All right, God bless you all. Thanks. Thank you, kingdom men, for worshiping.